0: Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. Today we will be in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. Uh, Chapter one, and then Chapter two is where we'll be. Um, If you've taken the time to read through the Book of Hebrews, you'll recognize that the Book of Hebrews is trying to argue, or even introduce Jesus to us, and it's trying to not tries it introduces Jesus to us in in a summary statement and in one word. The summary statement is this: Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Can you say that with me? Say, Jesus is better. And so, here, uh, as, as we introduce you, you got it back there, uh, Andrew. It's not working for me up here. As, as we uh, look into this book, what we're seeing is, is that the very first chapter introduces us to Jesus. And the book of Hebrews Declares to us that Jesus is better than Moses. He is a better priest. He offers a better offering. He brings about a better covenant with better and lasting promises. What Jesus ushers in is better. And in this chapter, chapter one, and the beginning of chapter two, we're seeing that this these two themes that Jesus is better than the prophets. And Jesus is better than the angels or Jesus is superior to the prophets and Jesus is superior to the angels. So the question then we ask is how is Jesus? Why, why bring up angels? Why bring up prophets? Well, if you, as we read in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. When did he speak to our, our fathers? He spoke to them long ago. So not in their time. The author of Hebrews is writing as uh, post-crucifixion, uh, cru- post-resurrection, and really, he's writing um, to an audience that has been attested to by the disciples. The disciples of Jesus actually went out and did what Jesus said to do in the Great Commission, and the gospel has reached these places. And so the author of Hebrews is writing to predominantly Jewish Christians, and this is why he's arguing that he's better... Jesus is better than Moses. They really respect Moses. They see Moses as a prophet. They also see Moses as a mediator between God and them. Uh, Moses brought to them the covenant that they have. And Jesus says, or Hebrews says that Jesus is better, that he brings a better covenant than them. Moses brought about, God gave Moses the sacrificial laws and even the order of how to worship God. And the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is better than than that way of worshiping than those sacrifices that were called upon the people to offer so when did he speak long ago and to what audience to our fathers he says in verse one those are the patriarchs those are the ancestors these are Abraham uh, Isaac Jacob right those those who were uh, heirs of the promise that They follow, if you follow the Bible um, through, they have been the recipients of the promise that God gave to Abraham that there would be land, that there would be seed, and that there would be blessing to all the people uh, of God and all the nations of the world through that people. And what means did did God use in those days long ago? He used the prophets. The prophets are ones who speak for God. As God speaks his message to them. Prophets, you and I need to know, were mere men and mere women. They weren't, they could not ascend into deity. They weren't superhumans in any way. They were mere men and mere women. And they were appointed by God. Prophets were. And also they were consecrated to God. And being consecrated to God, they were undeniably ones who heard from God. And so they were able to hear from God because they were consecrated to God. And they were a trustworthy voice in the time that they were speaking and in the time that they were writing. And when they spoke or they demonstrated what God has spoken, uh, they, they, they communicated from God to the people. So this is the function of the prophet. Who was their audience in those days? Well, we know that the people of God were the audience. We know that kings were the audience, and we know that priests were, were the audience. Kings, domestic and foreign, were the audience of these prophets. And they also spoke to the general public, and they also spoke to commanders of armies. The prophets spoke to these people. What, was, uh, what did their message entail? What was the goal of the prophet's message? To bring correction, to bring accountability. If you know when, when David sinned against uh, Uriah, when he took his wife Bathsheba and tried to keep it hush-hush, we know that God raised up the prophet Nathan to come and bring a rebuke to him, to the king. So they exposed the condition, the morality of the time, and they also offered course corrections. They also offered assurances from God. For example, when when there was a battle that would ensue, uh, they would often, the kings would ask the Lord, Lord, are you with us? Are you going before us? And the prophets would come with an answer and say, "Surely God is with you. go do what He has said to do." So they brought assurances, and they also spoke future uh, about future events. So we get a lot of future and we got a lot of forthtelling uh, going on from the ministry. Of the prophet. So, this is who God used when he spoke before, but the author of Hebrews makes a transition. This is how God used to speak. This is how God has spoken or is speaking today. In these last days is what the author of Hebrews says that is their day and the days coming. Since the day that Jesus resurrected from the dead and was ascended into heaven, we are now in what is called the last days. It's been the last days for 1,989 years. That's after Jesus' death. That's how long it's been since he's died. And so... We are now in in these last days. That is the time that we're in. And to whom does Jesus speak? He speaks to us, or in their case, the Jewish believers, those who heard the message by the witnesses of the apostles. What are the means that God is using to speak to us today? He is using his son. And that is why Revelations declares that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Namely, that any message that comes, that any message that comes to us is rooted in Christ. It's about Christ. It has its solution in Christ. It has its resolution in Christ. It's all in Jesus. So whatever prophetic message comes, whatever um, thing this... This message is bringing forth, it it comes from the mind of Christ with the heart of Christ for the will of Christ, wherever it goes. And the means that God is using is his son. And when we think of son, we think of one who has been descended from. But Jesus is, is considered the son of God, but he is not born of He's, he's not a, a seed of God, because if you consider him as a seed of God, then he, um, well, in one way, he's a seed. He has always been the eternal God, is what I'm trying to get. Jesus was a, not a creation of the Father. He is distinct from the creation. So there's the creation, there's the creator, and Jesus is the creator. Got it? And so uh, Jesus has eternally existed as a son. When he was deposited into Mary, when uh, the spirit came with her seed um, and Jesus was formed in her, Jesus had already been in existence. He was just entering into the world and taking on the, the human body or the human form, the likeness of man. And so Jesus... The big idea here when we're thinking about son Jesus is not a creation of the father. You should know that. He has always been. 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 Say it with me. He has always been. And so what we start seeing here in the book of Hebrews is that the argument that this guy makes, whoever wrote the author of, of Hebrews is making, is that Jesus is more than just mere man. The prophets were mere men and women. Jesus is more than that. Jesus bears the title of the Son of God, and to, to, to declare that he is the Son of God It influences the quality of the message and the trustworthiness of the message. When we're we're talking about sonship, that influences the quality of the message and the trustworthiness of the message. And so what we must conclude then is that Jesus is superior to the prophets. He begins long ago. And to our fathers, God spoke to us through the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And then what you start seeing here in the book of in the first chapter of Hebrews is that he pulls out attributes or character traits that are only spoken of of Jesus and never of the prophets. And I'll add to that, and never, excuse me, of the angels. What kinds of things do we see? We see seven things, I believe, at seven things. In verse 2, he says, after he talks about uh, in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, he says that he is, the son, is the appointed heir of all things. To be the appointed heir of all things is to to dismiss the process of what it used to be like when, um, when they would divide the, the inheritance. Oftentimes we think of, oh, the, the, um, the older son gets the double portion, and then it looks like they, uh, I read that they cast lots oftentimes to see who gets what. But there is no lots casting when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is the appointed heir. He is the sole proprietor of the the earth, of all things. Everything belongs to him. He is decisively designated as that. There is no casting of lots, no dividing of property. It all belongs to who? To Jesus. Jesus. It says that he, then in verse 2, it goes on and says that through whom, Jesus, uh, God the Father, created the world through Jesus. And what we see here is that he is an agent of creation. God created the world through Jesus. None of us would ever conclude that, um, that the creator of the world is none less than God. We would, all, we would all conclude that. And Jesus is the, the agent of creation. Looking at verse 3, it says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. To be the radiance of the glory of God is, is kind of an echo to what I preached about in John chapter 17. Remember that? When we talked about Jesus' high priestly prayer. We said that glory is uh, when someone by their words or actions and way of living leads us to see the character, the worth, and the majesty of God. So we see the character, we see the worth, we see the majesty of God through the radiance of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. So Jesus essentially is revealing God to us. What God is like, the worthiness of God. And so it's right for us to sing songs like All Hail King Jesus because he he shows us the glory and he has glory in of himself. He leads us to an understanding of who God is, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God is infinitely worthy of our praise. And so we give it all To him. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The other thing that speaks into the revelation of who God is is the the phrase that the author of Hebrews writes, and he says, He is the exact imprint of His nature. In Bible college, we took this wonderful essential class called Fundamentals of Art, so essential for teaching the Bible. But one of the pro- a pro- a projects was to make uh, like a stamp out of rubber, right? And so you draw something and then you'd have to carve out the opposite of what you want on it. I, 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 in my mind, inversion stuff just doesn't work well. I don't, I don't do well with inversion stuff. But, but you engrave it to make a stamp. So you have your drawing and if you're really good, you would make an exact representation of your drawing, but if you're me, it would be a jacked up version of your drawing, right? Well, your drawing, my drawing was jacked up anyways. And so when you think of imprint, the exact imprint, what you're, what, what the, the word picture here is like a stamp or an engraving tool or, or, or something that has been engraved, Right. Think of your coin, think of like the quarter has, whose face on it, George Washington, right? Yeah, I think the quarter has George Washington on it. Am I right, anyone? Good, thank you, Uh, coin people in this room. I appreciate it. Um, But you see that that it resembles them pretty good, pretty well. The penny resembles, I know who's on the penny, Abraham Lincoln, right? The penny resembles uh, Abraham Lincoln well. So these artists, they, they took an image and they made it into this, this thing or, or transferred it over into this thing. And that is what Jesus is. He is the exact imprint. He is the stamp. He is the engraving. When you look at him, you see God. That is the idea here. The exact representation of his nature. The essence of who God is. God has communicable attributes and God has incommunicable attributes. Those communicable attributes would be like kindness and gentleness and self-control and and uh you know things that we can do apart from, uh, or because God shares these attributes with us. But there are ne- we can never ascend to the incommunicable attributes, which are like the omnipotence, like all-powerful, or um, everywhere present, or uh, knowing all things, and knowing the secrets of man's heart. Now, we learned last week that Jesus emptied himself of everything that could be God. Like he didn't pull the God card when he did the things that he did. He did it in a in a spirit-filled life by the strength of the Holy Spirit, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, says that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant into hu- human likeness, right? So Jesus <clears throat> condescended and became and added to himself a, a the human form. And in doing that, he limited himself spatially. He limited himself in his omnipotence because he could have done anything. But instead, he's humbled himself and became obedient to the Father. So even though he's God... And he could do whatever he wanted. While he lived on earth, he said, I'm only going to do what you tell me to do on this earth. And I'm going to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is beneficial for us because when we look at Jesus, we can say, oh, we could live a spirit-filled life. We could live the kind of life that Jesus lived. Because he didn't do it in his deity. He did it in the power of the Spirit. And that is what he brings us into. That is the kind of thing that he deposits into us when we come to him. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. What I'm saying is, is that the, there are things about Jesus that can only be true of God. That can only be true of God. Even though he didn't use that, the fullness of his deity. You get what I'm saying? Yes? All right. If not, talk to Pastor Jim. He'll explain it better. Verse 3 then goes on and says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the one. If you think of Genesis chapter 1 where God said, let there be light. And when he said, Let's, let the, the waters from the sky separate from the waters of the earth, or let land appear, or let us make man in our image, what he's saying here is, is that Jesus, Jesus is, is the one who spoke when it says, and God said. Why do we know that? Why do I say that? Because it goes on to say that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So that word, and God said, when he said, let there be light, unleashed something that would be sustained. That word is sustained by his power. The one who speaks it has power, and he continues to sustain the universe. Now, think about that. Jesus limited himself when he became man, but yet his word is sustaining everything. That is divinity. He's more than just man, is what I'm saying. So how could you just be human and then like do the, the thing? You know, for you and me, our brain is doing things that we're not doing. I'm sure that his deity was doing things that his body was doing differently on earth. I don't know. That's speculating. It could be wrong. I could be a heretic. Don't stone me because we don't do that these days. All right. <clears throat> But he sustains the universe with his powerful word. That means that he preserves it. He keeps it going. When you think of who keeps this thing going, how is it that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west every single day? Why? Jesus' immovable power or his powerful word. That's how it happens. What keeps this earth spinning on its axis? The powerful word of Jesus. Amen? What keeps you breathing? What keeps your heart going? What keeps your brain going? The powerful word of Jesus. He sustains the universe with his power, powerful word. It also declares to us, In verse 3, that after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty. When it talks about making purifications for sins, what it's speaking of is his sacrificial death. That when Jesus died, it wasn't, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus, that you had to die. But that death actually was representative for us. He was our substitute on that cross. It wasn't just that he died and it was a pity Jesus. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. No, he did that because of you and because of me. Because we all have sinned. And we all, as Romans 3.23 says, fall short of the glory of God. Jesus went to the cross because of you and because of me. That's why he had to go and make purifications for sin. That is his sacrificial death. His blood was able to then purify you and me who believe in him. If you don't have belief in him, if you don't have confidence in him, if you don't have trust in him, then this purification isn't yours yet. But it can be should you profess Jesus As your Lord, should you believe that he died and that he rose again and make the confession, I believe, save me, then purification comes to you who believes. Amen? So this purification for sins is is the author speaking of Jesus' sacrificial death and his purifying work on the cross. It also says that he he was seated at the right hand of majesty. To be seated means there's two events that happened here. This is talking about his exaltation. That right now Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He is the exalted savior. He's not the one on the cross. He's not the one on the tomb. That happened, the cross happened, the tomb happened, but Jesus rose again. And not only is he the resurrected Savior, he is the exalted one. Because he ascended into heaven. And as, we, as was shared weeks ago, that he went up into the clouds. And where is he? Seated at the right hand of majesty. That is God. He is majestic. This is his exaltation. None of these things that, we, that, that the Hebrew, uh, author of Hebrews writes, none of these things have ever been said of the prophets. The prophets never were appointed as heir. the prophets were never agents of creation. The prophets were never spoken of as having the radiance of the glory of God or that they had the exact imprint of god's nature and never talked about they never believed that the prophets sustained a universe by their powerful word. they never believed that the, that the prophet's death would actually make purification for their sins and they never believed that though Elijah was taken from the earth he was never seated at the right hand of god the only one that this is true of is jesus christ of nazareth this is the only one that this is true of and therefore jesus is superior to the prophets now you need to know that he's making an argument here if jesus is superior to the prophets then his message has weight and his message is trustworthy, but we won't get ahead of ourselves. Jesus, then, uh, the final thing that it mentions about Jesus is in verse four. It says, "Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." So, Jesus, the final thing that that uh, the author writes is that Jesus is superior to the angels. In what way? Is Jesus superior to the angels? Well, it says that he inherited a more excellent name than theirs. They're called uh, messengers. They're called uh, wind. They're called fire, right? These ministering spirits. But Jesus bears the name of son. Son has weightiness to it. Son is different than a ministering angel or ministering spirit. He has a more excellent name. And then we see in verse five that God affirms his fatherhood. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, he says. It was never spoken of of the angels. None of the angels can be declared as son. And what else? He says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. God affirms his fatherhood of Jesus. And then in verse 6, how is Jesus superior to the angels? Well, God is the only one who is to be worshipped, and this is what he says of his firstborn into the world, that is Jesus. He says, let all God's angels worship him. The only one that forever receives glory and praise and honor in heaven is God. Angels do not bow to angels. And if you read Revelation, when John went to bow down before the angel, he's like, stand up. That's not me. Don't be, don't, be trying to, don't be trying to get me in trouble. John, stand up. He's the one. This is the one that we worship. And what does John see? He sees the lamb who was slain, who was ushered into the, the very throne room of God and was worthy to sit there. The angels are commanded to worship Jesus. The angels then, he also addresses Jesus in verse eight. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness or uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So God, he is addressed as God. I believe David is the one. No, I don't know if this was a Davidic psalm or not. But this psalm was praising God, and this God is attributed to Jesus. Your throne, O God, is forever. Jesus has a forever throne. And Jesus loves righteousness, and he receives an anointing of joy that surpasses his contemporaries. The angels don't receive that. The angels never get a throne. Only Jesus gets a throne. And in verse 10, we see again uh, a calling out of his creative work. It says, "You, Lord, lay the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. How is He superior to the angels? He is the architect of the earth and space." Jesus is the architect of the earth and space. And verse 11, how is Jesus, we're answering the question, how is Jesus superior to the angels? Well, he says, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. The Lord will not perish and he will not wear out. He remains forever. Only spoken of Jesus, never of the angels. Verse 12, what does it declare? It says that he will never change, but he will be the same, and whose years will have no end. It speaks of his eternality. And then again, a mention to the throne room of God in verse 13. How is, he, how is he better or superior than the angels? He sits at my right hand. The God says to him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your foot. The right hand is a place of authority. The right hand is a place of honor. The right hand is an important place. And angels, neither angels nor prophets ever get the right hand, the right hand privilege in the throne room of God. The only one who gets that is Jesus Christ. So, all right, what do we do with this, right? That's the question. Granted, he was superior to the prophets. He was superior to the angels. But where where, where do we go with this? Now, one thing you need to know is that the author of Hebrews is writing, this is what I find encouraging about the Bible. The Bible is very honest and answers questions that you and I may have. And in this sense, is like, all right, what, it, what does it matter that Jesus is superior to the prophets? Or, or how does this affect my life? How does this change anything? And the, the answer to that question is, is Jesus' message a reliable message? Is it a reliable and trustworthy message? Is it a weighty message? Should we give ear to him? And the argument in Hebrews is, of course, if you listen to the prophets and if you listen to the angels, then you should listen to Jesus. Where do I get this idea? In chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let me read that. It says, therefore... Because he's superior to the angels, because he's superior to the prophets, this is what we must do. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? To hear hear and listen to the message of Jesus and not respond to it means that you are in danger of receiving the just retribution or what, what justly is your punishment or the judgment, the just judgment that you and I should receive. And so the call for them is to pay much closer attention to what we have heard. A lot of times we want to start with Jesus, and then we forget about Jesus. That's the whole, that's the whole parable of the sower. Did you know? You start listening to the Word of God. You, you grow a little bit, you get choked out. You get snuffed out, you get snatched away. It doesn't bear fruit in your life and in my life. And what what the author of Hebrews is saying, you need to be paying much closer attention to the message of Jesus, why? Because if you trust the prophets, if you think angels are reliable, then Jesus' message is even more important than that. His argument is that the message of the prophets and the message of the angels actually came through when Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be crushed or burned up, that message came to Abraham through the message of angels. Did it come to be? Yes or no? Yes. We know that city to be destroyed and demolished, burned. So the argument is here is that everything that has been spoken of, by the angels and the prophets has come about, then you better be listening to what Jesus has to say. That anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The key thing is, there will be perishing. Jesus is bringing a message, a good news message that you can be saved, that you can be part of his kingdom, that you can belong to him, that that, that he can make purification for your sins because of his blood. Not only that, he can give you a new heart by which you can turn to the Lord wholeheartedly. The things that Jesus offers to you and to me are for our benefit. Why? Because there will be judgment. Everyone will give an account for every careless word that they have spoken. Everyone will give an account for rejecting or accepting Jesus. Everyone. There is not one person in this world who will slip through and find a loophole. None. There will be just retribution. And what does he say? What does he say? What does the author of Hebrews say? That in Jesus, there is a great salvation. There is a great salvation. If it didn't work out, if it worked out that there was judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah, if it worked out that there was judgment for the very people of Israel, that they were exiled and removed out of the land, then it will work out this way that those in the end, when Jesus returns and they have not received the Lord, they will perish forever they will be sent to a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth for all of eternity. And it will be a conscious torment, a bodily conscious torment that no one wants to experience. No one wants, but we act as if the message of Jesus is something that we can be indifferent about. And that's what the author gets to when he talks about When he says, in verse 1, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That word neglect is just acting indifferent. It's like, oh, I've heard this message before, but it really does nothing for me. It doesn't do anything for me, I'm just, fine. It's a good thing that Jesus died for people. It's a good thing that he rose again from the dead. It's a good thing, but it makes no difference for me Well, if you are unaffected, or you think this message is insignificant, then you are in danger of just retribution just like it came in the past it will come in the future and we're not just waiting for a future event the moment you breathe your last breath is the final this is right before your last breath you better make the right decision because if you die not having known jesus not having professed jesus then you will get just retribution so you and i We don't have a second chance after we breathe our last breath. This is why the church is urgent with the message of Jesus Christ. This is why it's so important. And I know that in the day and age that we live in, with science being the thing that drives us, and uh, we need to see it to believe it, that kind of mentality. Well, listen, If that kind of mentality causes you to drift away and to think Jesus' message is insignificant, then you are in danger of, of the just retribution. There's a reality that comes. There's a reality that comes. If you have any inclination that God exists and he's real, listen to Jesus. Listen to him and listen to his message. It is a message of great salvation. Romans 1.16, for the Christian, this is important for us. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believes. We as Christians should not be ashamed of the gospel. There is a just retribution coming and we should be bold with it. It doesn't mean that we need to be unloving with it. We just need to be bold with it. You understand what I'm saying? Because the world looks at us like, oh, you guys are a bunch of haters. You hate us. You hate fun. You're like, party, you're like the, the God-sanctioned party poopers of the world. No, we're, we're actually the God-sanctioned ones who bring about a message that will pluck you out of the, the assembly line or the, the line to hell. We'll pluck you out. We'll pull you out of that. God will bring you to Jesus and Jesus will transfer you from that line that's going to hell to his, the kingdom of light. Jesus will do that for you and for me. That's why we're about proclaiming Jesus. But notice this, his argument is you are in danger uh, if you neglect such a great salvation, all of these things will come to you. The just retribution will come to you. And then he goes on and says, listen, this message is reliable because it was declared by the Lord. When Jesus came, he didn't come to be the nice guy. He came to usher in his kingdom that will be the salvation of all of us who believe in him. He came to to get stuff done. So Jesus declared it. The message of the kingdom is that you can be forgiven of your sins and that you can have eternal, the promise of eternal life. And in this world, you can receive the Holy Spirit who will be for you the, the, the one who d- performs in you this heart surgery, writes the laws of God in your heart so that you could then offer yourself up to the Lord wholeheartedly. This is what Jesus offers to me and to you. And he declared it. So this is a Christian writing to Christians and he's saying, you're in danger of falling away. You're in danger of drifting away. You know, several times in this passage, we drift away because of the hardness of our heart. We get hardened because of the deceitfulness of sin. And that essentially leads us to a place where we reject the Lord. Those who start with Jesus can get to a place Where they reject Jesus. The author of Hebrews say, You could start here, but you could drift and drift and drift, get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and finally reject Jesus. And there's a heartbreaking thing to those who start it and do not end. There is no more offering of repentance if you reject Jesus. If you trample over Jesus once again. There is no other salvation for you and for me. He's our only solution. He's our only salvation. And we see here that this message is fully endorsed and backed up by the Holy Trinity, right? God says, I am God and I approve Jesus' message. How does he do that? Look at verse four. While God also, so Jesus bore witness to it, or Jesus testified, he brought forth or declared the message, and then it was attested to us by those who heard. That is his disciples. They believed, and they went forth with it to wherever they went, and they proclaimed. And what happened along with that? While God, while they were proclaiming the gospel, God was bearing witness to that message by what? By wonders and various miracles, wonders, and various miracles. I think that the more we get out and the more we proclaim and the bolder we are outside of these walls with the gospel, God will bear witness with it. Why? How? By miracles and signs and wonders. It's happening. I don't know if you've been following the Let Us Worship movement. Have you, Anyone know about this? Sean Sean Foy, well, they're leading worship in different places and they're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. People are getting healed. People are getting baptized. There's a revival happening. There's a revival happening wherever this, this this thing happens. And I don't know all about it. I don't, I'm not all in it. I'm not, but I'm seeing something. I'm seeing that wherever the church steps out in boldness, boldness, but not in Uh, not lacking love, and love and boldness, loving boldness, let's call it that, God shows up with miracles, with signs, and with wonders. You want to see that? You want to see God endorse your message or the message of Jesus that you boldly proclaim? Come on, do you want to see it? Yeah, then you need to step out and do it. We need to. I'm guilty of this too. I need to step out these walls and proclaim it. Whenever the Holy Spirit uh, just prompts me, I need to follow it. I need to obey it. I need to just be that witness. And we can see that God will bear witness to these with signs, wonders, and miracles. What else does He do? God also gives Holy Spirit gifts to those He wills, He distributes gifts to the church. Your gift of prophecy, your gift of tongues, your gift of mercy, your gift of good works, of encouragement, of exhortation. All the gifts of the spirit that you possess is a testimony that God is bearing witness to the message that you have heard. So don't underestimate your gift of prophecy. Don't underestimate your gift of tongues. Don't underestimate whatever Holy Spirit gift you have as just like, oh, no, that is God's testimony. To you, that the message you heard is authentic and real. And that when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he backed it up. He endorsed it. And so we need to go with that kind of boldness. So what what am I encouraging you to do today? First of all, pay closer attention and stay with it. Don't drift away. Don't drift away. There's no, more, there's no other reliable message but the message of Jesus. Why? Because he's better than the prophets. Because he's better than the angels. He is divine. He is God. That changes everything. And that holds weight. Being God makes this message weighty and makes this message trustworthy. Do you believe that? So stay with it. Don't drift away. Don't be indifferent about this message because Christians can be indifferent about it. You can be indifferent in the sense of you don't feel the urgency about it, about this message, that really everybody needs to hear this. Everyone needs to be given an opportunity to either accept or reject. Everyone needs that opportunity. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we move into uh, this season having fasted and having prayed and having worshiped, I'm asking today that your church would think and believe your message to be reliable, not just for us, but for the world. It's so important, God, that the world knows that you came to die on the cross, that you rose again from the dead and that you are exalted to the right hand of the Father and that you will return. Jesus, you were sent into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. But there will be a time when you will return where that's not your mission anymore. But your, mis- your mission will be just retribution. And anyone who is not for you will suffer the wrath. And so Lord, I thank you for holding, being slow to anger. I thank you for being infinitely gracious and merciful and being patient with us, O oh Lord, so that everyone has the opportunity to believe. Your deepest desire is that no one would perish. But yet people will be stubborn and people will, there are people who are ignorant, who don't know any different. There are people who know and have responded with just hardness of heart. And there are people who have heard and have, are just indifferent or unmoved. And so we pray, God, that you would begin to move through your church. Use us. Use the other churches in Wissanomi. Use the other churches in Philadelphia that you would move through us as we are bold with the gospel. Lord, bear witness to the message by bringing about signs and wonders and miracles, oh Lord. We want to see that in our day, Lord. We want to see that in our day. And Lord, we don't want to drift away, we want to stay with it, we want to pay close attention. To this reliable message that we have received. Fill us, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Let, let the weightiness or the whatever you whatever this seed of the word is meant to accomplish in the hearts of those who hear, whether here or at home, will you cultivate this? Will you bring this to fruition? Will this sprout up into life, O Lord? Lord, let this not be a word that is snatched. Let this be a word that lands on fertile soil and let it bear fruit, God, 100, 600-fold. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Well, may you leave this place knowing that Jesus is superior to angels and prophets, And may you walk in the boldness of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.